And now, Audio Theater Central. Hello, welcome to Audio Theater Central. This is the show that's all about family-friendly audio drama. I'm JD, and this is episode 171. Well, this is a jam-packed episode. In fact, there was so much that I wanted to share with you that we had to end up dividing it into two episodes. You're going to get the second one next week, so stick around for more information about that. But in this one, we've got an interview with Ian Boldman of The Brinkman Adventures, a whole bunch of fantastic audio drama tidbits, some really great stuff that's going on in the space that I have to share with you, and... We're also going to be sharing a free episode of The Brinkman Adventures here in this episode with you. So stick around for all of that. All right, let's jump into the tidbits. Well, the first item on the agenda is an update about Paws and Tails. Now, I shared with you recently that brand new Paws and Tails episodes are coming. Well, I was able to get a little bit more detail from Eric Basil and I had asked him, you know, what are, what is the plan? Are these going to be just a couple of episodes? Is the show back in full production? What's what's the plan? And so he said, all that they're able to say at this point is that Inside for Living Ministries is planning to air the new episodes in 2023, and there are four episodes in development currently, but two additional seasons are planned. So. The, uh, the ministry will be crowdfunding those additional seasons. So info about that will be coming up as soon as it's available. I also asked him, are we going to finish off the Shadow Valley storyline? And he said, several of the episodes do extend the, the Shadow Valley storyline, including the search for The One. And so we definitely want to be on top of what's going on with this to be sure to get those fully funded so that we can finally get the ending of this story arc. But he also did say that uh, many of the principal actors have returned to their roles. So we have David King as Papa Chuck, Susan Clausen as Goose, Eric Basil as Ned, Linda Ford as Marsha, Larry Brantley as Yusuf. But CJ and Stacy have been recast. They needed to find actors whose voices still sounded in that same age range. So, hey, that's what happens when kid actors grow up. <laughs> so that's understandable. But we're really, really excited about this. And so we will keep you informed as soon as we get more information. Well, there are a couple of items here from Legacy Radio Theater. First is a brand new series coming from them, and it's called Chapel and Squeak. This is a very, very fun show, and it is aimed at younger listeners. But I tell you, I've heard the first episode already, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really fun. So here's the official summary. Chapel and Squeak are two rodent buddies a mouse and a rat, respectively, who live in a community within the walls of an old but still operating country church. Set against the backdrop of the quiet little church, the animals carry out their adventures. Chapel is a well-behaved mouse who wants nothing more than to do good. His best friend, Squeak, has a heart of gold, but is constantly getting into trouble, and, way too often, dragging Chapel along with him. 
Adventures abound as this core cast interacts with a host of quirky characters and tries to stay undercover from the humans, while also secretly helping out whenever they can. Episode 1 is coming very, very soon. It is uh, the first of a three-part story, and the episodes are going to range about 15 to 20 minutes long. And the cast for these episodes so far is Amy Lilly, Craig Hart, and Jonathan Cook. So these talented voiceover actors are going to be doing multiple characters, and it's, it's just a really fun, fun show. In fact, let's go ahead and play a little snippet. This is the first scene from episode one of Chapel and Squeak called The Great Church Robbery. Frank, hmm? Frank, Frank, wake up. I, I think there's someone in the house. Uh, who? What? Where? I think there's someone in the house. Mm. That's nice, dear. Good night. Frank, Frank, wake up! Liza, Frank, I, I know I heard something. Up. Now, if you don't go check it out, I'll have to do it. And if I got myself kidnapped, you'd never forgive yourself. Hmm. Wouldn't I? Frank, how can you say that? <sighs> Easy. I just opened my mouth and out it came. Great Solomon's Mines, Liza. There's someone in the house. I know that. Why didn't you wake me? I, what are you? Well, don't you worry, my dear. I'm off to be a hero. Oh, dear Lord. Please protect that silly, silly man uh, that I love dearly. Okay, you, whoever you are, you have no right to be here. Show yourself. Oh, no, I hate that clock. First thing tomorrow, out it goes. Huh, there's a light on in the church sanctuary. I wonder if the... I'm not sure, but I think the noise might be coming from the sanctuary. I was just about to look out the peephole. Oh, be careful, Frank. Hmm. Yeah, there's a light on, all right. A flashlight. Someone's moving around behind the pulpit. Liza, he has the offering plate. He, he's putting the money into his pocket. Oh, Frank, oh, who is it? Well, I can't tell. Quick. Call down to the Duncans. Okay. They live near the light switch. If they flip on the main light, it might scare the thief away. Oh, right. Hurry. Right, right. Oh, <coughs> Hannah. Ah, Hannah. I'm so sorry to bother you, but... Oh, you heard it too? Frank says someone is stealing from the church. You live in the wall right by the light switch, right? Okay. Frank thinks that if you turn on the main lights, the thief might run away. Oh, thank you, Hannah. Oh, do be careful. Hannah's going to have Larry flip that switch. Oh, good, good. I just hope that works. Oh, anything yet? No. No, I don't... Huh? It's working! He's running away! The money? Frank, did he get the money? Well, he got some of it. Come on. We gotta get down there.
Oh, that is so fun. So fun. Um, the show is being written and directed by Craig Hart with sound design and editing by Craig Hart and Mark Mulcahy and the music by Mark Mulcahy. So again, really excited for this show. And there is a link in the show notes to check this out. And like I said, episode one will be coming very, very soon. Now, also from Legacy Radio Theater, their second Sherlock Holmes production is nearing completion. Um, They're working with Drew Forbes on the music for this one. And Drew Forbes is the composer who's been working on Pirateers. So that's exciting. There's just a little bit of sound design left on that one. It's possible that it may be finished and released by the end of this month, October 2022, Uh, but it may be a little bit later than that. Sometimes things come up in your production calendar that you weren't able to plan for, so that is not a a firm date. Uh, But this is going to be the Sherlock Holmes story, The Speckled Band, but the third story that they're working on for this Holmes series is going to be an original So that will be interesting to see where they take this familiar character that we all know. Now, I recently shared a little bit about the next production coming from the Academy of Arts, and it's called The Little Red Hen. And I was able to get in touch with them over there, and they shared a little bit more detail. Jennifer over there said that The Little Red Hen is a delightful and witty children's musical that is sure to warm your heart with its original music and hilarious characters. You'll be whisked away to Farmer Joe and Miss Anna's plantation, where you will meet the little red hen and other charming animals as they learn that God rewards the diligent and gives grace to the humble. The production has eight songs. Jennifer says that the target age is 4 to 12, but she thinks that middle schoolers and even young high schoolers will enjoy the humor as well, and this is scheduled to release on October 20th, 2022. Now, we've gotten to know their... Professor Boggs series in the last few years. And so I wanted to know what's going on with those. And she said that the next Professor Boggs is currently being written, but is not scheduled until next year. They're going to record it next August, if it all goes according to plan. And they wanted to take a little break from the Boggs series to expand their offerings of of different types of audio dramas, which makes total sense to me. So they have some projects going on there at their campus. And so this Little Red Hen production seemed to make more sense uh, and was a little bit more doable uh, for them at this particular time. So that's what's going on with the Academy of Arts. Of course, looking forward to the next Professor Boggs, but I think this is a this will be a good show too. Now, I also checked in with Boyd Barrett over at the Come and See Biblical Audio Drama, and he says that recording is nearly complete on Volume 2, and he's tentatively planning to begin releasing this volume uh, chapter by chapter towards the end of this year, 2022. So that's exciting to hear. Glad that that project is still in the works. He said that uh, getting all the actors in and recorded got hampered by COVID-19. So, hey, that's understandable, but glad they're back on track and really looking forward to getting more from this series. Jared DePasquale recently released a piano arrangement of the theme that he wrote for Brinkman Adventures' Dutch Underground episode. Jared said, quote, after watching all the events unfold in the Ukraine, I decided to write a longer solo piano arrangement of the theme. So he worked with his brother, 
to get that recorded. And they worked with a pianist to perform this piece. And it is now available if you are interested. There's a link in the show notes to go check that out. I've said it before that I do love soundtracks and instrumental music. So this is just a beautiful piece of music from that Brinkman Adventures episode that has been arranged for solo piano, and it sounds beautiful. So again, link is in the show notes to check that out. Well, Lamplighter Theater's newest release called Crown of Success is now available for download, and CDs will be coming very shortly. This is another allegorical tale, and the summary for this one is... In this intriguing allegory, a silver crown of success will be presented to the sibling who wisely uses time and money to furnish their new home and garden. The results reveal that some have been hindered by the temptations of their new friends, pride, flattery, and folly. And who will conquer the challenges of the thief of time, the lane of trouble, or the brook of bother? Link is in the show notes to get that on MP3 download and a link to the CD version so you can sign up to be notified when it is available. Also, another new release. A brand new Patch the Pirate adventure is coming this month, October 2022, and it is called A Tale of Two Siblings. Now, that is all that they have shared so far. We don't really know what the story is about or the exact date when it'll be released, so you're going to have to stay tuned for that. But also, they have a live tour that is happening this fall. They're going all over the country and doing live Patch the Pirate shows. So there is a link in the show notes to their tour schedule so you can see if they're going to be coming to a city near you. They also have shared that they're working on a new Patch the Pirate app. We don't have any details on that yet either. So we don't know if that's going to be a subscription-based thing or a way to manage your personal purchases from the Majesty Music Store. We'll have to find out, but we will share more on that as soon as we find out. Well, that wraps up the Audio Drama Tidbits segment. Ian Boltman is the writer and director and creator of The Brinkman Adventures. And in 2021, they released a special production in the Brinkman Adventure series called Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims. And I wanted to bring Ian on because this is such an epic production. It is a departure from their previous releases. And I wanted to have him come on to talk about some of the behind the scenes of producing this series and maybe give us a little bit of an update on what's been going on with the Brinkman Adventures and maybe even some tidbits on what's coming up in future episodes. So Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's been a long time, but I appreciate you taking the time to come talk with us about Brinkman Adventures. Man, thanks for having me. I love you guys. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. For, first of all, I want to say congrats on the Seneca wins this year. I uh, uh, was really happy. I mean, look, I, I know I, I do get to vote on these, but it's not just me. So um, I was rooting for you. <laughs> Well, thank you. We were just so humbled and blown away and honored for those awards. Thank you. Well, the last time you were on ATC was back in May of 2013, and a lot has changed in in your process and and for the the ministry as a whole. I mean, as far as I know, beach glass wasn't even a thing back then. Um, That's right. We were were moonlighting Brinkman Adventures. I was on staff at a church at the time, 
Yeah. And it was like doing it at night. So now we're full time. Yeah. So you were still working a full time job. You guys were using stock music for the first few, uh, first few seasons. Um, and back then you said that it, it had, uh, taken you about f- four years to complete season one. Now you guys are cranking them out every year. Can you share with the listeners just kind of an update on how things have changed, uh, the reach of the program, how Beach Glass Ministries even came to be? We definitely want to get to freedom. That's that's why you're here. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of bring the, the audience up to speed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a brief history of Brinkman's. I was on staff with a church. I was a music pastor. I'd been there for about 15 years. And I went on a sabbatical, like a prayer retreat, 24-hour prayer retreat. And as I was leaving, my son Josh, who um, now works for Brinkman's and does our IT and our sound design, he was digging up the backyard because he listened to Jonathan Park. And he was convinced that there were dinosaurs in the backyard. And he had it all roped off and staked. And I said, Josh, what are you doing? And he said, I'm digging for dinosaurs. And as I drove away and I had my prayer time that night, I was thinking, you know, it's really cool that my son wants to be a paleontologist. And he wants to be a paleontologist because of audio drama, audio theater that he listens to. Now, he could listen, he could watch movies, but he was, he loved audio. He listened to it at night. He listened to the episodes over and over. And I had never really noticed how powerful this medium was. I know my kids loved Adventures in Odyssey. The older girls listened to that growing up. But um, I knew how, how audio drama was impactful. But I didn't realize how impactful it was. And so during that prayer time, I was reading through Luke where Jesus said, no one takes a light and puts it under the bed, but he puts it up so that all can see. And in Matthew, a parallel passage where the same story is told, Jesus said, therefore, maybe in Mark, therefore, let your good works be seen before men that they might give glory to your Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I realized, in hindsight, looking at Brinkman Adventures, that's exactly what it turned into, a ministry that tells the good works of ministries, of missionaries or people like Dave Eubank or Carl Ralston, if you remember me. And it puts those up so that the world can see these good works and give glory to God. And um, another goal of Brinkman Adventures is to inspire the next generation of Christian world changers. And that's indeed happened over the years. Uh, we've gotten many, many emails and people come and talk to us or called us and said, I want to be a missionary now because I've listened to these stories and um, wow. I'm inspired and I think I can do that. And they say that most missionaries on the field receive their calling before they're 12 years old. And, you know, when I was young, they would the Sunday school teacher would have a flannel graph board and the little missionaries and tell the story that way. And uh, we can tell missionary stories in such a dramatic fashion today with audio drama. And so that's kind of the vision behind this ministry. And so we, we did it part-time. I was on staff at a church, working a full-time job at a church. And then we were cranking out Brinkman Adventures using royalty-free music, like you mentioned. We put out a, a call to actors in our community. And so these were just a lot of people just from our church who really weren't you know, actors they did drama on Sunday morning, so they had some acting experience, but they weren't professional actors. We had a couple that joined us who had done some professional work. The guy who plays Jack is one of them. And I'm so glad we picked him, and he is still with us today. But, um, yeah, it was it was just us, a little team. And Pat Roy from Jonathan Park flew out from California and met with us in Milwaukee. And 
sat with our little team and, and read our script and said, this is really, you know, we can make it better here. You don't ever want to do what you just did there. And um, really helped guide us in that first, those first three episodes and helped us do our auditioning and helped us to cast. And so that's, you know, that's how it got started. Um, we had open auditions for the kids and we had a lot of kids try out. My kids said, can we try out for the Brinkman family? And I had written the family kind of based on my kids. Um, we use the kids' middle names, but we say the family's fictional. Um, and I said, yeah, you can, but you might not get it. Maybe a couple of you might get it. And they tried out. And when they came in the room, I just remember there was such energy in the room with the kids. And I thought, you know, we all we had American Idol with all the judges. We all voted. And we were all, this, this has to be my kids. And um, in hindsight, I'm so glad we did because it really turned into a family ministry where we travel together, we act together. It's so easy to record them. I just grab one and bring them down to the studio and they're part of the writing process. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all came to be. Yeah. And so now you're working with composers, Jared D. Pasquale and Aaron Fullen and, you know, and yeah. all custom music and stuff like that. And, and then you guys put out Freedom, William Bradford, which is just absolutely amazing, high quality audio drama. And I, I remember when you first told me that you were working on this project, this was back in August of 2020. And um, you said you had, you were working on this idea. You thought it might be two or three episodes. That's right. Turned into 13 episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I remember walking on the harbor here, right by our studio. We, we were, our studio is right on Lake Michigan on the harbor. And I was talking to you, J.D., walking back and forth on this little boardwalk. Yeah, and I told you, we had one or two stories. And, and the way that Freedom was birthed was our family represents Brinkman Adventures at conventions occasionally. So we'll go to the National Religious Broadcasting Convention or homeschool conventions or missions conferences I'm scheduled to go to a missions conference in a, in a couple of weeks in Alaska for two weekends at the Church on the Rock in Wasilla and then Church on the Rock in Homer. But we were representing the show and we were, I think we had been on a long tour, maybe maybe even eight weeks. No, it was 80 days. I think we were on the road for 80 days that year, living in an RV with the kids and going from convention to convention, just having a great time. And we went through Plymouth because my kids are related to William Bradford through my wife. And I thought it'd be really cool to see where great, 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 great grandpa to the 13th power lived. And so we, we walked into this little museum, right? We parked the RV and there's a bunch of geese and we got out and walked around the corner in this little museum there. Josh and me walked in and there's a couple there. And by this point I had already asked myself the question, what would William Bradford think if he could see Plymouth today? I mean, there it was just you know very worldly, and and um, they were very very not worldly. And I asked the question to the guy behind the counter, and he said, "Oh man, William Bradford is rolling in his grave right now. Mm. Um, this is not what he had envisioned." And and we got talking, and I found out that these guys were Christians. Or this this man and his wife were Christians. They were at the Jenny Museum, Nancy and Leo Martin, and they were connected with David Barton and Kurt Cameron. And they said, "You know, you should." do a special on, on Brinkman Adventures on the Pilgrims because 2020 is the 400th anniversary of when they came. And this was 2019, the summer of 2019. And so, so that's a great idea. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, here we have this Christian museum. These people are kind of missionaries. 
in a, in a sense. And so what a great thing to promote the museum as the ministry and then tell the, the story of our great-grandfather, kind of a Roots episode, right? So we thought one episode, maybe two, maybe three, we can fit it into season, season nine. And so on the way back, my wife found Bradford's book, Off Plymouth Plantation, on Levervox. Mm-hmm. And we started listening to it. We went through a tornado driving through the mountains, uh, listening to this. We were just enraptured. It was such an amazing story. I, I got lost. I, I would mix up William Bradford and, and uh, William Brewster and Winslow. I couldn't keep them straight. But I got the gist of it. And by the time we got home, I was like, man, we have got to tell this story. It is so um, current to what we're facing as a country today. They're dealing with religious freedom. They had a king that was after them um, because of their beliefs and the things that they were publishing in Holland. And um, they had race relations, big time, dealing with the with the Native Americans, First Nation people. And um, yeah, they had double crossers. There are so many things in Bradford's manuscript that were just incredible accounts that there's nothing to make up. We didn't need to make anything up. And with Brinkman Adventures, oftentimes we'll do this thing where we mix fiction with reality. So we'll take a missionary story and we'll mix it with the fictional Brinkman family. So we'll put them on the airplane that crashes, right? That was season one, the first three episodes. We always do this with a little fear and trembling because we want kids to understand that these are true stories. These things are based on reality. We also want them to understand that the Brinkman kids aren't real. And my my kids have made it really clear. Make sure that they don't think that that's me because I would never do that. Or that's not how I respond. And so we do this thing where we mix reality and fiction. And um, we didn't have to do that with freedom. There's maybe one scene where we kind of use our imagination, where Bradford meets Miles Standish. It's this fun scene where Peter Morton blows into Bradford's little silk shop or corduroy shop. And he's this huge personality. And we just had fun with him. And we said, how, how would he have met his wife, Dorothy? So we came up with a scenario that Miles Standish actually introduced Dorothy to Bradford. Now, that never happened. That's that's the one little case that I can think of that we just, um, it doesn't detract from the story, but somehow we had to have them meet. So we thought, let's just, we don't know how it happened, so let's, let's come up with something. So we did mm-hmm. that. But other than that, J.D., there are so many things that happened. We, we had to leave stuff out. It was kind of hard. Um, not a lot, but, I mean, there's a whole other section that happened when this concludes, that's that's very interesting, and I kind of wish we could have gotten to it, but we didn't. Another thing I'll tell you about about freedom is, as I was writing it during the pandemic, I wrote the first episode, and, and then the second one, and the, I started, well, at first I outlined it. I went through the original manuscripts, went through Bradford's journal, I went through uh, some stuff that was written by Edward Winslow and Bradford, and I, I kind of outlined it all, and had the main points. These are the stories that we want to hit chronologically. And then I started telling it and it got longer and longer and longer. And I remember at one point um, I had outlined maybe eight episodes and I'd asked Darby Kern, actually Darby and me wrote a little, wrote on this little roller coaster in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we talked about maybe collaborating a little bit and working together on this. And he even posted a picture, I think on Facebook of, of the two of us and is something going to happen here? Well, that was that was in the summer of 2019. And, and I said, Derby, I would love for you to just take your creative mind and walk through this with me. As, as I outline this as, and as I write the script, I want you to read the script and put some Darby love into it. Because Darby just has a great way with words. And he, 
He has great one-liners. And so I remember calling Darby at one point. And I said, man, this is, this is too long. And I started reading the different episodes that, we had out, that, that I had outlined. And he's like, man, this is, this is all great. we got to tell all this. And so I, it was after that that I was writing another episode. And by now I'm at nine or ten. And one of the problems with audio drama is that we still use CDs and you can only get three episodes on one CD. Yeah. Right. And so, and our packaging is four CDs, our long form Brinkman adventures. And so I couldn't go over 12, 12 was the max that I could have. And I remember I was writing one morning and I, I really sensed in my heart, this release. And I think it was from God just saying, just write the story. Just tell the story. Don't worry about how long it's going to be. Just tell the story. And so from then on, I didn't worry. I just wrote, 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 wrote. And we thought it came out to be 12. We're like, hallelujah, it's 12 episodes. And then when what happens with audio dramas so often is you record it, and then you put it together, and it's longer than what you thought it was going to be. And that yeah. happened here. And we know how many words uh, an episode is. Typically, a Brinkman Adventure episode is 4,800 words. because over, it's going to be longer. Well, you can have some episodes that are 4,300 words, and they're 25 minutes and 55 seconds, which is what we need for radio, and also to fit onto a CD. And so we thought we had 12, and then I remember I remember calling Jared at one point and just moaning, Jared, it's 13, it's thir-, and it's even longer than 13. We can't even get, there's this amazing scene that we can't get in because it just won't fit on a radio show. And so we put that actually, I don't know if you knew this, J.D., but we put in episode 11, it's 32 minutes long. It's the longest episode we've ever done. And there's this incredible scene with Corbett and Winslow. They talk about religion and the devil. And that's not on the radio. That's mm-hmm. exclusively on, um, it's on the CD and the download versions. But yeah, so we ended up with 13 episodes. Never, we never thought it would be that long. We had to, we had to release it in two packages, one with two CDs and one with three CDs. That's why we split it in half. One of the reasons why we split it in half. So yeah, that's some of the story behind the story. Did you have any reservations about doing this? Because it is quite different from previous Brinkman releases. And and obviously it's a completely standalone. It's actually, it's it comes after season eight, but this is not season nine. So right. what was your uh, process or your, your thought process behind, well, you know, right. let's just go ahead and do this. Um, well, when it was going to be two episodes, it really fit the Brinkman format. Because it's a missionary, right? It's the Jenny House Museum missionary in the Bradford story. And when it got longer, we had that problem. And I remember talking. We have a board of directors. Brinkman Adventures is a nonprofit. And so I sat down on my board, and I'm like, guys, I'm not sure. You know, what do we think here? And, and our sense was this is a story for America. It's a much broader audience than Brinkman Adventures. Brinkman has a smaller niche. But this is for the whole country. We made it in a sense that doesn't have a lot of Christianese in it. It doesn't have the Christian words, unless Bradford said them. We use Bradford's words as much as we could. I mean, there is so much of his writing that is in that dialogue. Nato Jacobson plays William Bradford. That's Bradford speaking. Whenever we could have Bradford actually say something, we had him say it in his own words, which mm. is beautiful. And so we let Bradford do the preaching. You know, when it came to God and talking about issues of faith, that's Bradford. Those are our founders. And so that allowed us to make it for the whole country and for even a secular audience. 
And so we love that because that kind of gets the message out to more people than the, the small Christian, maybe the homeschooler niche, which yeah. is a lot of the Christian audio drama. So yeah, we love we love the idea, and um, we thought that it also fit the Brinkman format in the sense that you have Jack and Ian in there, and we a lot of times we'll do flashbacks, and so it fit our format that way. But we also didn't want it tied so directly that someone who doesn't know what Brinkman Adventures is wouldn't get this show. We wanted it the other way around. So yeah, so that was our goal. We wanted it to fit, and it's going to be interesting because I'm I'm telling the radio stations. I'm writing them an email this week telling them that we're interrupting the regular rotation of Brinkman Adventures on the radio to insert freedom a second time. And I hope that stations will like that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we won a Seneca because I'm going to mention that to the stations and say, you need to play this again. You know, this might not be what every station wants, but um, I feel it's important for the country to hear again mm. in its full form because of the times that we live in. But um, we're, I think we're on close to 700 outlets at the moment, which, and they're not just in the States, they're all over. That's fantastic. I know a lot of people are hearing it. So that's our goal. We want people to hear these stories and be encouraged and inspired and with freedom. Um, we want them to understand you know, what, how important freedom is and, and religious freedom, especially the, uh, the ability to um, have freedom of conscience and worship God, the way that you see the Bible telling you to do that. And so that's kind of our hope as people listen to freedom. And also that, that Christians who listen listen realize they too are pilgrims. Because William Bradford, he didn't consider himself a pilgrim in the sense of, I'm a pilgrim coming to America, right? Starting a new country. He was he, he looked at himself as a pilgrim in the sense that heaven is my home. And I'm just yeah. kind of bopping around here and I go wherever I need to. They went to... Holland first, and then they went to the Americas. But um, they had their eyes fixed on heaven. And, and I want listeners today to realize, you know, we love our country. We love America, but it's really not our home. Right, right. Well, and you mentioned some of the source materials that you you drew from, you know, letters and journals and, and history books and even some new historical discoveries. And you did a, a ton of research on this. And uh, can you share a little bit about that research side and some of the things that you stumbled across as you started working on this? Yeah, sure. So I was a history major in college, and um, I just love history. So when we started this process, I read a number of books, modern books on the pilgrims, and I started writing the story. I also, of course, I read William Bradford's self Plantation and um, the source documents, but those are hard to read. The sentences are really long and... Um, <laughs> Asses are Fs, and I mean, it just really takes a while to be able to read that stuff fluently. And, and so I read through the source stuff once, and then I started reading other books. And other books made it easy. They just told you exactly what happened, when, and where. So I began, you know, writing these scenes. I got the ideas from the source material, and then I got specifics from more modern works. And I'd write the scenes, but then I started having problems because... The the modern works were off on details. I wouldn't be able to understand something or I'd be confused about a couple. I might read something in one modern book and another modern book and they contradicted. So I'd think, okay, I need to go back to the source. I'd go back to the source and find out, wow, that, that book was flat out wrong and I wrote the scene wrong. And it was more than once I had to completely rewrite a scene. In fact, the climax of the show at the very end where Bradford marries his second wife 
and they had their second Thanksgiving, I was under the impression that those two events happened on the same day. And one of the works that I read said that it, that was the case. And so I wrote that, and I sent it to our historian. And we, have a, we had a guy in Wheaton, a professor in Wheaton, Tracy McKenzie, who wrote The First Thanksgiving. He graciously agreed to go through all of our scripts. And he would send me these long, detailed notes. Okay, this is a little bit off. You might want to change this. And, man, I was so grateful for him. But he wrote me and said, you've got that flat out wrong. They would never, ever have a wedding on a solemn day of Thanksgiving. This was the second Thanksgiving, not the first. And um, where they were humbling themselves because God provided rain, remember? And, mm. and it rained and, and saved their whole plantation. So Bradford said, what took corporate prayer needs to have corporate Thanksgiving. So they humbled themselves, had a, an official day of Thanksgiving, which was really the first Thanksgiving. And Tracy McKinsey brings that out in his book. Well, Tracy read this big climax. He said, you got it wrong. So we had to rewrite that. And it was already recorded. We already recorded people in England. And so we had to go back and um, we were able to fix it. But anyway, yeah, so you asked about, about sources. And I found that the best is always going back to the original. And even then, sometimes it was confusing. Like Edward Winslow would write something in Good News from New England. And William Bradford would write something in Upland Plantation about the same event but they'd have the details different. And so then I'd have to ask myself, well, who was closer to the event? Who was there? Mm-hmm. Okay. In this case, Edward Winslow was actually there. And so I went with Winslow. But um, there was one time in particular that was really interesting. Um, if you remember in the story, they tried to get away one time and they were captured from England. And so the pilgrims tried to get, get away a second time. They, they waited you know, through the winter and they left in the spring. And in the story, in Bradford's journal, he explains that the women went down rivers. They floated down rivers, and the men walked. And it was about 60 miles, so it was quite a journey. It was a couple days' walk, at least. I mean, well, for me, it'd be five days' walk. But those guys, they walked. Man, they could really walk back then. And so I think it was two and a half days for the men. But the women floated down, and they got there early. And Bradford explained in his journal how he, he painted this scenario that was just confusing. And I could not understand what he was saying about how the women got stuck in the mud in a boat and then the men got on the, the ship that was waiting for them and they got away. One group got away and then the authorities came over the hill and the Dutch captain of the ship pulled anchor because he didn't want to get caught and took off with, with a load of men while the women were crying on the, in their boat. It made no sense to me. Okay, And so I thought, I wonder if I could actually find this river, it's called the Humber River, which is a tidal estuary. It's a river that rises and falls with the tide. It's, it's connected to the ocean. I thought, I wonder if I could find this on Google Earth. And so I found where they left from on Google Earth. And I walked along the shore and I looked out. And it started to make sense. Oh, so when the tide goes down, you still have these creeks that go out, but they go way out into the mudflats. And so that's probably what happened because the women were in this big river. They got there the day early and it was really rough and they said, can we go up a creek? So the guy took the boat up a creek and I found a picture of the creek in 1960. Today there's a there's a refinery where the creek used to be, but I found a picture of the creek that they went up. Wow. So they went up the creek over the night and then the next day they tried to get down the creek and go down that weaving creek through the mud, but they got stuck. And so I also found in the research, I saw a church there in that town. Inningham, I think, is the name of the town. And so I clicked on the church. It took me to Wikipedia, and it said that one of Robert Plant's 
band members just released an album in that church commemorating the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims leaving. He's a, a folk singer, and he wrote this whole album about the Pilgrims. And they released it in that church like three weeks before I was writing this. Hmm. I'm researching up in a cabin at the time. And so I, I got on the phone and I called this church. I got the pastor. And the pastor's like, oh, yeah, they actually did come to our church and they stayed right on the porch. We have a picture of the porch. They tore it down in 1920, but we've got a picture of the porch where they all, where they all spent the night. And the pastor said, you've also got to talk to this historian that I know because they found some really exciting stuff. And so I got connected to the historian and this historian said, yeah, I was digging through um, microfish and I found a court case where in the town, the captain of the ship was brought before the magistrate and he had to explain what they were doing and why all these people were on the boat. And so there was a court case discovered in 2015, just buried in these British journals or archives. And there it was, the escaping pilgrims. And it was on a 50-ton ship called the Francis. It had the captain's name, it had the first mate's name, who also came and stood before the judge. And it said there was a bunch of women, about, I think it said 60 women and a bunch of men were there. And um, it completely lined up with William Bradford's account, but it helped me understand really what had happened there. And I was able to fill in the details with actual names of the people who were involved. And so, yeah, that was really exciting. They actually invited us to come and record in that church. And I wish we could have done it, but it was COVID and it just didn't work out. Yeah, that is so cool. That is amazing. You just never know what you're going to stumble across when you start digging into history, right? <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. And you know, the cool thing about history is, I mean, if it's not written down, it's gone, right? My hmm. my grandma wrote down her story with Dutch Underground, and if she hadn't written that down, it would be gone. But because she wrote it in a book called Great Is Thy Faithfulness, we found it, we read it, and um, the history was saved, and we were able to tell a story and write it into an audio drama. And so... There are so many stories, and I just love it when they've actually been written down. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so cool. Well, you started recording in fall of 2020, I believe, and so you had actors in in the UK, in Holland, and the US. How did that all work out? How did uh, did you go to all of these uh, sessions, or did you do them remotely? Yeah, so you don't know this, but you you guys, uh, Audio Theater Central, played a part in this story in more than one way i think that you helped jared connect with thinking adventures oh yeah i remember he wrote us we were in the studio actually working on i think season two and he wrote me an email i realized who he was and i thought oh my god i can't believe this guy is reaching out to us wow i'm so honored and that was the beginning of jared and and so thank you for that connection i think you can, you also connected with us with aaron fullman i think early on, who was our other composer. Could be, I don't remember. I think you did. But anyway, so the other connection to Audio Theater Central is after we did the Dutch Underground story, I think we won the uh, award for the best cover art. And I received an email from Philip Glassboro after Audio Theater Central. He had, he had listened to the Seneca Awards that year, and he just wrote, reached out to me and said, hey, um, I heard the story that you told about Secret Garden. My daughter loved Secret Garden, one of the Brinkman characters. And, and uh, I had told that story, and somehow he heard it. And so um, thanked me for that and said I was a part of Secret Garden, Philip said, and I helped cast that. And that was that, okay? So that was the last contact I had with him. 
Well, fast forward to 2020. The scripts are written for freedom. And, and again, I was on the phone with Jared, and we were just kind of talking about this process and, and who to have play what. And it was Jared's idea. He said, Ian, you've got to use British actors for this. You've just got it. I mean, they're the ones that, that came, and you, you've got to tap into that if you can. And he was right. And I thought, how am I going to do that? I don't know. And wait a minute. I got an email from this guy named Philip Glassboro. I wonder if he's still around. So I, I emailed him and he wrote back and he said, I would love to do that. I said, I love the Pilgrims. I love John Robinson. So he played John Robinson actually in, in Freedom. He said, I love him and I wanted to do something on BBC about John Robinson. It never happened. So he lined up, um, he got us Richard Everett, wonderful actor. Man, he's versatile. And Peter Morton, again, an incredible actor. And um, Andrew Harrison, oh man, he's great too. And then Kathy Sarah was a part of it. And then and then Philip Sherlock or Philip Glassboro too. So they were just wonderful. And because of COVID, everybody's locked down. We were trying to fight the lockdowns in, in London. And, you know, they could meet and then they couldn't meet. Well, it worked out that we were able to get the studio that Focus on the Family had used, um, the Sound House. Mm-hmm. And we rented it for just one room, and so I remember I, I, um, I sent Richard Everett like I don't know five six parts, and he went back. He said, "Do you want me to play all these parts?" And it's just me in the studio all day. Are you kidding me? And I said, "Well, we'll just you know we'll just do whatever you can do, and you know if you can only do two, that's fine." And because normally these guys when they come into the studio, it's not just them acting all day, right? It's it's four or five or six people and they read and then somebody else acts and then somebody else acts and so they get breaks. But I was asking Richard to go there and work solid for eight hours. <laughs> and the poor guy, but he did, he showed up and I got up at four in the morning, me and Josh, we set up a computer and we directed from from our house and um, he did, he was a champ, man. He did so good and he did all the characters we gave him and he could have done more at the end. He was he was having a great time, and we were having a great time. That's the way it went with Peter Morton, too. And also, we actually recorded Philip twice. He went into a small home studio near where he lived, and it just it wasn't good. The quality wasn't good. So we had to redo all of Philip's lines in the soundhouse a second time. But um, And then Sarah, or Kathy Sarah has her own studio in Jersey, and so she dialed in. Her son acts in it. I don't know if you knew that. But oh, I didn't. Son, plays one of the characters. He's the um, the friend of um, young William Bradford. He says, come on, oh, let's okay. come play. That's Kathy Sarah's son. How cool. Wow, that's awesome. I did not know that story. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and thank you for, this is this is why you guys are so important, what you do. You network, you tie people together, and, and your role is important. I'm so, I'm so grateful for Audio Theater Central and how, um, you know, from a producer's standpoint, it's fun to have something to shoot for, to think, you know, our sound designer could actually win an award through this. And so I know, I know Josh worked really hard to be nominated by you guys, which is really special. And so, yeah, I mean, we appreciate that. You know, we, we, we don't do what we do for the accolades of men, right? As a Christian, I mean, we feel called to make audio drama and um, we do it for God. I mean, he's our audience. He's the number one audience and we'll make audio drama as long as he lets us. And as long as he calls us to tell stories, it's not a way to make a lot of money and get rich, audio drama. Some people have, but that's rare. We do it really because it's a calling. So, yeah, we just we love doing it. And um, But you guys, 
push us a little bit. And that's, that's what we love about Audio Theater Central. And you critique us and you give us hints on how we might, might do something a little bit better. And so you guys really have great ears. And we are so grateful and appreciative for you and the Senecas. And I hope that keeps growing and, and growing and even getting more steam. Wow, thank you. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I love doing it. And it seems like the uh, the industry is uh, appreciating it. And so, yeah, let, let's keep doing it. <laughs> well, you you had a bunch of amazing British talent that a lot of our audience is familiar with, but you also had some great people here in the U.S. You had, you know, Jake Phillips and Rich Swingle and Glenn Haskell, Nato Jacobson, Daniel Cross, a lot of these people that have worked on Lamplighter and just uh, just some amazing talent there were so many different characters in this story and you had all of these great actors in there, but was there any particular character that, uh, that you personally just really liked or, or resonated with? I mean, I guess the obvious one would be Bradford, but I mean, I mean, were there any others that you just really loved? Man, I loved Phineas Pratt. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Everett played Phineas Pratt and he, he just kind of channeled Gollum or Schmeagol. <laughs> just loved what he did there. It was so brilliant, and uh, he was evil, but you kind of liked him at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. just very self-serving. You kind of felt bad for him. I love that character. Um, I also like Billington, and that was played by by Philip Glassborough, John Billington, that that selfish, nasty pilgrim. You know, <laughs> who actually we don't tell this in Freedom, but he got hung. He was the first person hung. I think actually he did say that at the end. Yeah. Um, Seth says that. His son, when they first came to Plymouth, one of his boys climbed a tree and said he saw a sea. He could see a sea to the west. And so they went exploring and they found this big lake. So they called it, as a joke, they called it Billington Sea. They still call it that over there. And huh. uh, when they when they hung the dad, they hung him on that tree. <laughs> wow. Hey, again, yeah. we, we said before, you never know what you're going to find when you start digging you into history. Know. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, the, the British talent, though, was, was so fun to work with. And those guys, that's what they do, you know. They, they live and breathe audio drama, these BBC guys and, and mm-hmm. British. They never, they never really let go of audio theater like we did, in a sense. Yeah. They never died over there. And so, man, I just, they would do one take, two takes, and both takes were brilliant. I mean, over and over, all those guys, you know, whatever they did, it was just they touch it and it was gold. It was so fun to work with them. And then you mentioned some guys here and, you know, I, I loved what Josh Murray did as um, the Indian Habermach. I thought he did a great job as Habermach. Um, Nato Jacobson is amazing. He's a magician. He's a vocal magician. He did Seth, which was the main character mm-hmm. narrator really. And then also Bradford. And at one point we, we did a lot of auditioning for Bradford and had a lot of people try out for him. And a fair amount. And I remember sending NATO's edition to Philip Glassborough because I don't know what's good British and what's not, but those guys do. And yeah. so I said, Philip, what do you think of this guy? He says, he's impeccable. He's amazing. Wow. So that's all I needed. I remember talking to Darby too at one point saying, Darby, you know, can we use NATO for Seth and Bradford? And as we thought about it, it was like a no-brainer. Of course, he he did a great New England accent, and and what's really amazing is to watch him play Bradford and Seth at the same time. He does it. He's like a schizophrenic person. <laughs> it's it's crazy to watch him. He did. We have a we have a banquet, an annual banquet, where 
we have a, about 150 people who support Brinkman's. And really, those are the ones that, that fund this ministry. And they come every year, and we have this banquet, and we, we tell them what, what happened last year and what we're looking to do this year. And, and they're so very generous, and they've really given wings to this ministry financially. And so NATO came to that, and he got up on a st- bar stool, and he, he did this scene where he was Seth, and he was old Bradford and young Bradford, and people's jaws were on the ground. Mm. It was incredible. So NATO's amazing. He's yeah. just amazing. So fun to work with. So I remember you did uh, sort of a contest uh, of, of sorts with the Brinkman fan base. Did you end up using those uh, entries in, in the actual final cut or no? We did it. Every one of them. We actually, there were so many that came in and I didn't have time to listen to them all. There were hours, I mean, it just went on and on. And I told my kids, can you guys help me? Can you like winnow through these? And so they sat there and um, the Brinkman characters who sat there and up and down, thumb up, thumb down. And they kind of put them into a, a pool of, of the best ones. And then I got to listen to them and had a little help from a couple other people. But we decided that it wasn't just one person. There were so many good additions. So so we did age, different ages. And um, I think we did boys and girls too. And we used every single one of them. It was so cool. They came, they actually traveled to our studio from around the country and acted. And they were great. They did really good. The nasty little Billington boys, those mm. were some of the, the kids. The older Billington brother was uh, Kathy Sarah's son. The younger Billington, John Jr. was um, one of our, our winners. And then um, who else? Um, the young Bradford was one of our winners. Uh, he did a great job. He came from Michigan, I think. So, yeah, wow. it was that was really really cool. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, because I know Odyssey has done something, but they, I think it was well. Of course, they had the big get in the show contests, but they've done uh, smaller things where they had uh, a scene where they used some listeners' audio from phone calls in a scene with Connie. But this is like really cool. They actually got to play actual characters in, in the show with names and everything, credited characters. That's cool. That's fun. It was really, you know, we, we didn't know. We told them when they won, you might just, you might just be a voice on the Mayflower in the background, but mm-hmm. there were some solid actors. And so we thought, let's do it. Let's, let's let them do it. And they, they did great. So we were really, really proud of them and took them out to ice cream and had lunch with them here and showed in the studio. So I think we'll probably do that again. That was a, a great experience. And I love it too because it really let them see kind of this side of the of the ministry or industry and and hopefully kind of gave a couple of them a start maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, you mentioned uh, in an email that there's a, a cool story behind the the cover art, and I got to say, you guys always do such cool cover art. I've I've always liked the mm. the artwork that you guys do, and uh, for the the two for this one were just so so good. And um, you said there was a, a really cool story behind that. So can you share that with the audience? Sure. And I, I want to give credit to my sister, my dear sister, Sarah Boltman, who um, also acts in the Brinkmans. She's Aunt Sarah in the Brinkmans. And if I can uh, also add that she plays a character in Greenhorn Tales and does a fantastic job on it, too. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, she's in season nine. And um, Jared wrote me. She's like, man, he's like, man, Sarah rocked in this episode. She's So this is coming out next at the end of this year. Um, she's in another one, but but um, she's not with us anymore. She she left Brinkman's and she's working with the ministry out in Washington, and she is actually helping to 
coach missionaries who come off the field, young young missionaries who go on like like um, DTS, it's called with YWAM. Um, when they come off the field, sometimes they're not sure what to do, what's, what the next step is, and so she's helping to coach them, which is really really cool. And it's you know how she's wired and what she's really dreamed about doing. Well, God has opened up that door for her, which is really exciting. And so she is not doing her art this year, and so we're praying um, that that God gives us a great replacement. But it's hard to replace Sarah. She's done a wonderful job. Um, I'll tell you the story of freedom. Usually the way our artwork works is I'll come up with a concept and I'll give her like a rough idea, just a picture or two, and then she'll she'll make it. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple times I think she came up with a concept, but, but it's very collaborative. But she does all the painting and she makes it with this beautiful, amazing thing. I, I have a big picture idea, but I, I don't paint and I can't do what she does. Well, I saw these statues when we were in Plymouth. There's one little statue of, of William Bradford, and then there's this great big statue twice the size of Chief Massasoit on the hill. I remember asking Leo, Leo Martin, who is the real Seth. That's who Seth is fashioned after. I said, Seth, why is Bradford like five feet tall and Massasoit's ten feet tall? He said, well, but back in the 20s when they, when they made the statues, they made Massasoit first and they ran out of money. <laughs> so they they had to make Bradford half the size. I guess you know that's what Leo told me. So um, I couldn't find a written record of that, but that's that's a hist local historian. So um, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have Bradford and Massasoit standing on the Cape, looking at the Mayflower and looking out at the Cape Cod? And so Sarah was able to find a, a picture of Bradford taken and and Chief Massasoit. From the same perspective, which is interesting because to do the 10 or 11 foot tall Massasoit, you got to be up higher to get the same perspective as a Bradford. Mm -hmm. So somebody mm -hmm. somewhere, it was the same person, took these shots and Sarah took them and put them next to each other and then painted them because they're green. They're, they're green copper statues. And so anybody living in the, in the area knows that's the Bradford statue and that's the Massasoit statue. But there they were, the same size now, having a conversation on the real cape, looking out at the real cape, and then the, with the replica Mayflower floating. So it's really a cool, really a cool shot that she came up with. That is awesome. I, I love the, those little behind-the-scenes details. And I know, the, I know the listeners do, too. So thank you. That's yeah. great. Well, so this aired on the radio for the first time. Like you said, it's going to be airing again. But... It aired in November and December of 2021. Can you share some of the feedback that you heard from from listeners? Yeah, overall it was it was really positive. People were grateful, and I did I did have one lady write me, and she said um, she didn't like history, and she said I I just want the old Brinkman Adventures back. I <laughs> I cry when I listen to Brinkman Adventures. Me and my my older friends we listen to it and we cry, and and this is just stodgy history basically, and. So I won't be listening to the rest of the series. And I, I always take an email like that, and I see that as a challenge to reach out and, and talk to her. And so I, I wrote her back, and I said, ma'am, I just said, I hope you'll, you'll tune in to the next week's episode, because I think you'll find it pretty emotional. And I knew that the next, it wasn't done yet. I wrote her this, and we were still, we would, we would finish them, J.D., right before we sent them off to be aired. That's how close we had cut it. So we would, um, and that's a whole other story, which I can maybe tell you, but, but I knew that the one that was coming up the next week was when everybody died. 
Everyone <laughs> died. And so I knew she was going to have some emotion in that episode. Um, but she went back and thanked me, and, and um, she listened. And she ended up listening to the whole show, and I think she was glad that she did in the end. But it's definitely, you know, it's a different feel than the, the Brinkman's in the sense that it's not the missionary stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people might miss that. But, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of, a lot of people really enjoying it. And it was fun when we would release them. We did something that was, that was new for us, and we'll probably do this again with season nine this year, is um, the supporters that we have, that 150 people, we reached out to them and said, we would love for you to be the, the first person to hear a brand new episode as the one who helps make it. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to open up our studio on Sunday night. And so Sunday night, it's an open invitation. If you want to come and sit, we're going to have you know a really good sound system hooked up. It's a working session where, where Josh and me are listening and we're critiquing. It's like our last critique. And so if you hear anything, you know, you can tell us. We might not do what you say, uh, but maybe we will. And so it was so fun to bring in these groups of people. There were a couple times where the studio was, we have two rooms in our studio, and it was, just, it was full of people, just completely packed. We dimmed the lights, everybody got popcorn. Um, our studio overlooks Lake Michigan, and so we'd look at the lake and the sun go down and turn on Freedom Part 13. And it was really, really cool to hear these people respond and watch them. Um, as somebody who makes audio drama, I don't get to see people listening. Right. right. It's just yeah. kind of cast our bread upon water and trust that it's it's being appreciated. But it was the first time for us to watch people really, really getting into it and laughing at the jokes and, and you know, wiping a tear from their eyes. And so that was really, really special. Really cool. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I mean, because like in theater – you know, you get that immediate audience reaction and audio drama, you don't get that at all. And so that's, that's gotta right. be an interesting feel. And then I think, I think Darby had mentioned something at Sonicon when we're in the room listening to, you know, the pilot of the watch and, and getting to see people reacting in real time yeah. to this thing that you've spent so many hours pouring your time and your energy into. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really fulfilling thing I can imagine. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was at the same place with you at Sonicon. That was cool. Listening to the watch with Darby. And um, I have to say that that our listening audience would often say something like, I didn't understand this line or that, you know, it's kind of that was kind of confusing. And so Mm -hmm. Josh and me would often spend the whole next day, Monday, fixing what people heard or saw or or the notes that they gave us. And so that really was kind of a quality control thing, almost a screening yeah. that we did. We never screened like that before. I mean, we do internally, you know, ourselves sure. or our family, my wife will listen, the kids will listen usually. Um, but this was cool to have people who, who knew nothing of the story, who had no connection, you know, they hadn't read the script and for the first time to hear it, it was very helpful. Yeah. It's kind of like a beta readers for a, for a novelist or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you, you, you kind of alluded to some of the things that, that you're, you're working on for season nine. It's already underway. You've been writing and recording this past summer. You've got a, a really cool story set in Korea that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe um, maybe a, a little teaser on anything else that might be coming in season nine? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, so there was a story that I read a book back in, man, probably 2014, 15, and um I almost cried. I finished. I think I did cry. I read the book. I thought this has got to be an audio drama. 
someone's got to do the story. And so I reached out to them and they, they weren't interested in it. Um, they were at first, but then something happened and, and, um, they had to pull the plug on the idea. And, um, just to clarify, you say they, are you talking about the publisher or the author? The author. So okay. the author, we had permission, but then something came up, a legal issue, perhaps. Um, they did, mm. I wasn't privy with all that was going on, but they weren't able to do it. Um, I think that maybe there's a movie that was being done and they're concerned about a movie and a radio show. So um, we tried. We tried the next year. I think we tried the next year. And finally, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to try one more time. And if they say no, I'm I'm going to take that as this isn't meant to be. But mm. if if they say yes, we'll do it. And I wrote them, and they said yes. <laughs> I said, oh yes, this is awesome. And so at the at the time, we were really busy. And Darby had said, I would love to help write for you if you ever need help. I said, Darby, you want to write? She is mine. It's yours. And he was all over it. So mm. he wrote, and he he was he called me blabbering like a baby <laughs> after he finished that script. He was just it really hit Darby hard, and um, he did a great job on the script. And he said he said, can I play the dad that adopts her? Please, at least let me audition for it. And so he did, and he did an amazing job. So Darby is the dad, and Katie Lee is his wife. Which is really cool. Oh wow, and that's cool. It will make you. It'll make you cry when you listen to the end of the story. It's a two-parter. Um, the story is a little girl. She's four years old. Her dad was an American GI, and her mom was a village girl. And the grandpa said she can't live in our village because she's a Tugi. A Tugi is a worthless child mm. and because she was half white and half Korean. And so the mom took her at four years old and put her in a train. And gave her a little sack lunch and said, your uncle will meet you when you get off the train. And so this little girl rode the train all day and got off at the end of the line and there was no uncle, nobody. Mm. And so she slept in an ox cart and she tried to walk back, backtrack on the tracks to try to find her village. And she walked for two and a half years. Wow. And they tried to kill her twice. She survived and God did an amazing miracle. And today she heads up this incredible ministry. Wow. that's That sounds fantastic. It's a really good story. And we're doing a Christmas story this year. Our first Christmas story. Nice. It's called Peppy the Christmas Cat. And uh, it's it's a Brinkman story where we bring back all the favorite characters. Feldspar and Pennington and R.D. And we have a really cool surprise, which I'll, I'll tell you. Um, James Arnold Taylor is is coming into the show. Okay. To be playing a character this year, we're bringing back, um, and I won't tell you this part, but we're bringing back somebody who's grown up, and as an adult, he is played by James Arnold Taylor, who just knocks it out of the park. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, those of you who don't know James Arnold Taylor, he's like, man, he plays so many voices, Fred Flintstone, but he, I think he's probably most famously known for Obi Wan Kenobi in Clone Wars for. How many years he's played that? 15, 16 years. He was scheduled to be at Sonic on the first year, but then when things had to get changed around, he wasn't able to make it. Oh, bummer. He's he's a great guy. Very cool. Really a cool guy. So that'll be coming the end of this year, season nine? Yes. December twelve is usually when we release. And so yeah, it's it's tight. We're we're on crunch time right now here at the Brinkman Studio. 
these last six weeks or so when we try to finish up these episodes. It's long hours. Right in the holiday time. <laughs> yep. Every year, it's always like this for us. Last 10 years. <laughs> Staying up late, pulling all-nighters even. Wow. Well, I, I have to say that it's working out because you guys are doing amazing, amazing work. I mean, y- you know this. We, we we had quite a few critiques on on season one, but every single one of your releases has got, gotten better and better and better. And I think this last release shows that. I mean, it's some of the best stuff that's being made these days. I mean, personally, I think Freedom was the best audio drama that came out last year. It was fantastic in every way. And so I'm just really excited for what you're doing. And man, just, just keep it going. Thanks. Thanks. You know, it really helps to have, to be surrounded by, by great people. You know, there's so many good people in the business. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Rob Jorgensen, Alan Hurley were a part of freedom, which is really cool because Josh was their boss. He's like, dad, I grew up (laughs) listening to these guys and I got to be their boss. So Josh was having to to listen to their stuff, you know, and, which is really, I thought it was kind of funny. But um, yeah, I mean, those guys are amazing. Um, Jared, he is, Jared is, is just flat out incredible. He, he reminds me of John Williams, you know, Star Wars and everything else. He's just, he's just incredible. And, um, you know, God has brought a team around, around Brinkman's. And, you know, I've told other people this, JD, that when, when God calls you to do something, um, and I really believe this is a calling. Brinkman Adventures is a calling because of the effect that it's having and the people that it's reaching and the stories that it's telling. God is getting the glory. And this is all about him. When he calls you to do something, he He helps you do it. He brings the finances. He brings the talent. He brings the expertise. We didn't know how to make audio drama. We knew nothing mm. about I mean, I never aspired to make audio drama. I mean, I was a worship leader in a church, and um, I was going to be a history teacher or a lawyer. Um, but my kids loved audio drama, like I said. But when God calls you to do something, he provides the money, he provides the, the personnel and, and, the, and the stories. And I like how Hudson Taylor, I think, was the one that said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's, God's resources or God's funding. And so we've, we've really strived to try to do Brinkman's in God's way, in a way that's honoring to our Lord, and tell stories that honor Him and that, that point to truth, that don't divide but bring the church together. And and so because of that, He's brought He's we've never we've never needed money. I mean Brinkman's has always been funded. He has brought incredible talent like Jared and and Rob Jorgensen and all these people have come and, and helped lift up our arms to tell these stories of these great Christian heroes. And, and we're just kind of along for the ride, JD. You know, it's, it's not us. It's not, you know, we're not super special and, and I'm not incredibly gifted and I'm just a, just a guy. You know, as we would write stories and bring in people, we would do it collaboratively. And, you know, we, I have, I have kind of have a rule. You can make great stuff if you have a lot of money, you're an expert at it, or you have a lot of time. And so we did the a lot of time. We, we, it took us forever to do things, you know, and we were able to make, make really good stuff. Sarah worked so long on her art. She worked so long and put so much care into that. I, I probably spent way more than, than Rob 
when I mix something, Rob is a, Rob's a master, you know. But I'm just, mm. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tweak, 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 tweak. And, of course, you get better at stuff. And over the years, we've we've learned some tricks, you know, and found new technology. And Josh is always bringing new stuff to me. Dad, you got to see this new thing. This is really cool. This is really going to help streamline our process. So he's really helped make us be faster at what we do. But then, you know, meeting people like Katie Lee and, and Philip Glassborough and Peter Morton and Nato Jacobson, these these people help just bring it, bring life and more expertise and more craft and more excellence to stuff. And so, yeah, we're appreciate the encouragement, JD. And, you know, I got to give credit to God and, and also to all the people that stand around us to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, you're, you're doing great work. I'm, I'm excited for, for season nine. And uh, I, I got to say thank you because you uh, have agreed to allow us to share episode one of Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims right here on ATC. So yeah, so people can get a chance to check this out because it's an amazing, amazing story. And so thank you for allowing us to do that. And I know you people bet. are going to love it. Yeah, that that's a lot of setup of that first that first episode. Um, but it was cool because like I told you how we listened as a team, we had a young guy from our church, 12, 13 year old guy, listen to that. And that first episode, I remember him saying, this is for today. This is like a 12 or 13 year old boy. And mm. I, I really liked that episode because that shows Bradford in his formative years. It shows him as a 12 or 13 year old boy being a boy of conviction at that early age yeah. saying, this isn't what the Bible says. And, and telling his uncles, no, I'm going to go to this church. And they, they said, well, you might get arrested and I don't care. That's a lot of courage for a young yeah. guy. And, and I think we need that today. And so I, I, you know, there's a lot of setup in that episode, but it's also, I, I love the, that grit that's in that story. For sure. Yeah. Well, is there any cool tidbit that we didn't cover that you think the, the audience should know about? Oh, hmm. So there's a story in season nine called The Giver and the Gift. And we wrote this. It was supposed to come out in season seven, but we had one too many stories in season seven. And so it was going to come out in season eight. But then we couldn't put it in season eight for some reason that I can't remember. And unfortunately, there was a young um, a, a church youth group helped to fund this episode. And so it still hasn't come out. And then Pilgrims happened. Freedom happened. And so we've been waiting to release The Giver and the Gift for like three or four years. And um, it was recorded in India by a, a movie star named Sandeep. And um, they, they got a really, really amazing cast. In fact, I have a friend who's a Tamil. He's from Tamil in India, southern India. And he introduced me to Indian movies. And so... I watched some Indian movies, and there's a guy kind of like Sylvester Stallone um, in this in Tamil movies. They call him Superstar. He's Raji is his name. And he he's um, this bigger-than-life character, and he's always like, you know, standing up for the downtrodden. And I like the, the idea behind his stories. Well, when he comes out and he makes his first appearance on screen on the screen in the movie theater, people in the movie theaters go crazy. My friend showed me a video and they, they all had their phones up. And when Superstar said his first line, the house went nuts. It was like the Beatles. That's the closest thing it can <laughs> remind me of. He spoke, I saw him in the stadium and there must have been 100,000 people in this huge soccer stadium. He's like this. He is just so famous there in India. 
so when we, I had my, my friend in India, Sandeep, do this story. He's the same guy that did Bookstore Bomber. So if you hear that voice, okay. you can hear the same, the same guy um, and his same team of people in this, in this episode. Well, when I got the additions back, he would send me, what do you think about this the actor for this character? I wrote him back. I said, the bad guy sounds like Rajni, superstar. And he said, oh, you, you've got good ears. That actually is the voice that plays Superstar when it's translated, when dubbed into Hindi. So that's the voice that they use. Oh. I know the guy, and he's and so he's actually in the gift. The gift, this guy, this um, this superstar voice. So that's interesting. But the story, wow. the story is going to come out this year, and I'm going to a missions conference in Alaska in two weeks to this church. And it's the kids at this missions conference that funded this this actual episode. And the missionary that the story is about is going to be speaking at that conference. And so it's, I haven't told anybody yet. You're the first person to hear this. But we're going to debut The Giver and the Gift because I have a session with the kids um, on, on a Friday night. I'm going to play The Giver and the Gift while Kelly Brake, the real missionary, is going to be speaking to the adults in the next room over. Isn't that cool? Oh, that is awesome. That's so cool. Well, thank you, Ian, so much for taking time. I, I, I'm sure you probably didn't plan on t- talking with me for this long, but I, I really appreciate it. And man, just keep up the amazing work. We, we, we really love what you're doing. Well, thanks, JD. And again, thank you to you. I, lo- I could talk audio drama all night. You know, you get it. You understand this. Yeah. And so I love talking shop with you and, and with your audience, JD. And so, so thank you for all that you do. Thanks for having me on. And you guys keep it up, too. Thank you. Well, you may have noticed there a little bit of a difference in the audio there at at one point. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but towards the end of the conversation, Ian's audio changed and got really clear. So I don't know if there was a loose audio cable somewhere in the chain there that suddenly got fixed, but <laughs> I don't know what happened, but we may do. I think it was a great conversation and I hope you enjoyed that. But as you heard a few moments ago, Ian is allowing us to play the first episode of Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims. So this is episode one from part one. I know you're going to enjoy this if you haven't purchased this series already. Here is a chance to get a little taste of this production. And I think it's enough for you to make a decision whether or not you would like to grab a copy for yourself. So, without any further ado, here is episode one. My name is Scott Stewart, and I'm honored to be your host for this very special presentation entitled Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims, brought to you by Brinkman Adventures. What you're about to hear is taken mainly from eyewitnesses to the events. The occasional liberties taken to fill in the blanks where the historical accounts are silent are small and inconsequential to the overall story. 400 years ago, a small ship called the Mayflower set out from Plymouth, England, bound for the New World. Partway into her journey, the weather turned foul and threatened a quick and brutal end to their endeavor. At the height of the storm, a violent wave washed one of the passengers overboard. Surprisingly, this man grabbed a line trailing behind the ship and hung on for all he was worth. Someone saw him go over and pulled him back on board. Had John Howland not survived this brush with death, our nation would never have known thousands of his descendants, including three of our presidents. 
John Howland survived, but many would soon die during that first harsh winter. Who were these people, willing to risk their lives and move to a mysterious, untamed land? Why did they go? What did they do? And does any of it even matter today? Well, you're about to find out. We now invite you to join us for an epic adventure and are delighted to present to you Freedom, William Bradford and the American Pilgrims. a larger food cache? Mr. Bradford, lift the planks. Have a care. Yes, sir. They may be watching us. Mr. Hopkins, you and Master Howland cover that side. I shall take this side. Keep your weapons effed. Yes, sir. A mat. Remove it. A fine bow. Take it out, along with the mat it lieth upon. Here, Mr. Winslow. Oh. What is that? It, it, uh, it looks to be a painted board of sorts. Such expert carving. The three tines on the top appear almost as a crown. Let me see what's in this hole. Oh. Mr. Billington, what doest thou? Bowls, trays, dishes, and, and trinkets. Get out of there. I shall give this one to Eleanor. They are not yours for the giving. Captain. Movement. Uh, who goes there? Another mat. Remove it, Mr. Bradford. We are in danger. Hurry, man. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, good. Night. Two bundles wrapped in cloth, just as I suspected. Hey! Why'd you turn it off? Uh, I think this one might be a little bit too scary for you guys, Peter. Aww. Hey, Ian, what you watching? A uh, new documentary on the Pilgrims. They say anything about Bradford yet? You know, you're related. Related to him through Mom's side. Yeah, I know. You've told me about a thousand times. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, hey, could you help me? Sure. Well, what do you need? My phone. Oh, boy. Check this out. Gotta go. See ya. Phone. See ya. Who am I? You are Peter Babyface. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those little turkeys. Here, let me see it. There you go. Phone. Who am I? You are Jack Brinkman. <laughs> Thanks. You bet. So, how is it? How's what? Uh, the documentary you were just watching. Well, I'm not sure what to think about the Pilgrims anymore, Dad. What do you mean? Seems like they did some pretty sketchy stuff. Well, they can't be that bad. They invented football. <laughs> what? Sure. They came up with Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie, and football. I thought you majored in history. <laughs> so you're bothered by what the documentary said? Well, kinda. I've spent my whole life being proud of William Bradford. But after watching that... Well, if you want to find out more about him and the other pilgrims, we could go straight to the source. The source? You mean Mom? <laughs> I have that conference in Boston on Friday. If you tagged along, we could swing into Plymouth on Saturday and do some investigating. Or I could just look them up online. Yeah, but you can't eat lobster and New England clam chowder online. True that. So? Yeah, all right, I'm in. Wow. Plymouth seems smaller than I expected. 
I wonder what your great-grandfather Bradford would say if he could see Plymouth today. <laughs> I think you missed a few greats there, Dad. <laughs> yeah. The Jenny Interpretive Center. What do you think? Should we go in? Sure. Uh, good afternoon. Or uh, good evening. Are you still open? Y yes, but we close in ten minutes. You're welcome to check out the gift shop, though. Thanks. Of Plymouth Plantation by William Bradford. Well, that book is the most authoritative account of the Pilgrims. It's also the first American history book. Really? I think I might have read parts of this in high school. Want to get it? Can we? Sure. Well, that book itself has quite an illustrious history. It's a miracle, really, that we have it today. Why's that? Well, do you have time for a short story? Of course. William Bradford's hand wrote that book on parchment paper between the years 1630 and 1651. He never attempted to publish the work. Before he died, he passed it on to his son, William. Son, I, I want you to have this. It is the history of the plantation as I have committed it to the page. Years later, William passed the book on to his son, Major John Bradford. By 1736, somehow it had found its way into the steeple tower of a historic church in downtown Boston, where it resided safely for the next 35 years. Wait, why the steeple of a church? Well, it's where the colonists kept the library of their important books. They met in the church below. Today it's called Old South Meeting House. Between 1736 and 1771, historians and authors would occasionally reference Bradford's manuscript, quoting small portions in their own books. In 1773, 5,000 people met in the church to debate British taxation. Afterward, a bunch of colonists marched down to the harbor and raided three tea ships anchored nearby. Ah, the Boston Tea Party. That's right. And soon after this, America's War of Independence began. During the war, the British Army captured the Old South Meeting House. They filled it with dirt and practiced riding their horses inside. No way. I bet the Colonials love that. Probably why the Brits did it. Anyway, at the end of the war, the Redcoats retreated and the colonists regained possession of the Old South Meeting House. They discovered that the retreating soldiers had destroyed much of the interior, and... Oh, Governor Bradford's manuscript! She's gone! For years, local scholars and historians mourned the loss. But then, 60 years later, something incredible happened. In 1844, a historian named Reverend John Berry was researching for a book he planned to write. Patience! Patience! Charles! Charles! John. Oh, I found it! Whatever is oh, the matter? Oh, you have to see this! My friend lent me this book, The History of the Protestant Episcopal Church in America, by Samuel Wilberforce, Lord Bishop of What Oxford. have you found? Now read that right there. That their children may see with what difficulties their fathers wrestled in going through these things in their first beginnings 
and how God brought them along, notwithstanding all their weakness and infirmities. Sounds like Bradford. It's certainly not taken from Morton or Prince's books. Exactly. And Wilberforce does not cite either. What is his source? Brace yourself. History of the plantation at Plymouth. <laughs> and look, here. Fulham Library, London, England. John, I believe you found it. <laughs> this is starting to remind me of a movie. Yeah. Reverend John Berry wrote a letter to the Society of Antiquities of London. He asked them to examine the document in the bishop's library and determine if it was, in fact, Bradford's original manuscript. And? They wrote back. My dearest... Reverend John Barrett, there is not the slightest doubt that the manuscript in the Fulham Library is indeed Governor Bradford's own autograph. The British sent them a copy of the original. A copy? <laughs> yeah, right? For the next 40 years, Americans filed many formal requests to recover the document. Uh, the British didn't give in until 1897. On behalf of Her Most Gracious Majesty, Queen Victoria, at the Court of St. James in London, England, we present to you Governor Roger Walcott of Massachusetts, Governor Bradford's own manuscript, History of Plymouth Plantation. So where's the original today? In the State Library of the Massachusetts State House. Are you a historian? I am. So, I assume you know a lot about the Pilgrims. Oh, it's my specialty. My son here is related to William Bradford. Oh, you and I have something in common. Oh, wow, that's so cool. I'm Jack, by the way, and this is my son, Ian. Oh, I, I, I'm Seth. We actually came here to get some answers to a few questions. <laughs> I might be able to help you. Uh, how long are you two staying in Plymouth? We're leaving tomorrow night. I'll tell you what. If you want to come back here at 7.30, we can talk more in my office. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'd love that. Have a seat, gentlemen. So, uh, you're related through your mother? Yeah, that's right. Well, don't get too excited. There are about four million descendants of William Bradford in the U.S. today. And about 10,000 of them still use the name Bradford. Really? Yeah. And there are over 35 million people alive today who are direct descendants of one of the passengers on the Mayflower. I guess you're not quite as special as you thought, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, most people who know they're related to someone on the Mayflower are pretty proud of that fact. So, you want to hear about your great-great-grandfather? Yeah, definitely. Well... And not only did Bradford write our nation's first history book, he also wrote poetry on occasion. He wrote and spoke around the time of Shakespeare, so his writing can sound a bit flowery to us. Uh, do you mind if I quote from his book now and then, just so you can hear the story in his own words? Not at all. Well, I'll be using these other manuscripts here occasionally as well. Uh, they're also considered primary sources, being written by Bradford, uh, Edward Winslow, and a couple of others that were there. This is exactly why we came to Plymouth. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, much of what we know of Bradford's youth comes from this book, Magnalia Christ Americana, 
A Cotton Mather published it in 1702. He was a Puritan minister. Uh, William Bradford was born in 1590. They say he came from a line of nobility. In fact, his family had the right to use a coat of arms. He grew up in a small town called Osterfield in northern England. Uh, you can see it on this map uh, right here. Oh, that's close to Nottingham. I haven't heard of Osterfield, but I know about Nottingham. Yeah, the, uh, the guy with the green hat. The jolly green giant? <laughs> <laughs> I think he meant Robin Hood, Dad. I know. Uh, some say William Bradford was a relative of John Bradford, who was burned at the stake in Smithfield in 1555. Why was he burned? Uh, he opposed the papacy. This may explain where William got some of his leanings. Oh, interesting. Uh, over the years, the Bradford family prospered as farmers with their modest estate. But when William was only one, his father died. Uh, when he was four, his mother remarried and sent him to live with his grandfather. Then, two years later, his grandfather died. His mother took him back, but then she died a year later. Pretty tragic start for the boy. Yeah. William Bradford, the heir to his parents' estate, found himself an orphan at age seven. He went to live with his two uncles, Richard and Robert Bradford. Now, that wasn't all. William also became sick with a chronic, unnamed illness. Will he join us for dinner? No, he's sleeping still. That boy has been sick for two months now. Will he ever be well enough to perform his duties? We need someone to tend a well, sheep. He does nothing in his present state. Perhaps he could be taught to read and write. He's a clever lad, that one. Aye, he could draft deeds and keep accounts for the farm. Mm. Yeah, perhaps the Reverend could tutor him. He does have a large library of books. And he's always been kind to the young boy. Tis settled. We shall draw up a proposal. Reverend Sylvester agreed to the idea and began tutoring the boy. William caught on to reading quickly and became versed in scripture and philosophy. The Geneva Bible became his constant companion along with Fox's Book of Martyrs. And to the delight of his uncles, William's new accounting skills became a valuable asset to the farm. However, his main love remained the scriptures. As Bradford studied his Bible, he began to question what was being taught from the pulpit. Why must the pastor always read from the Book of Common Prayer? Tis the law. God's law? Or man's law? Be careful, boy. Such questions land men in prison. Send him up, please. Good morrow, William. Good morrow, Paul. Oh, thou art reading again. Always, good friend. Always. Come outside and play stool ball with us. Listen to this, Paul. What is to be done then, brethren? At which hour ye come together, according as every one of thee hath a psalm, or hath doctrine, or hath a tongue, or hath revelation, or hath interpretation? Allow all things be done unto edifying. And what is your point? This is a description of a New Testament church service. Does it describe our church service? Even slightly? Nay, we do things differently in the present day. That doth not make our practice improper. 
Our church is very different from the one I observe in the Bible. In what way? The Book of Common Prayer dictates the clothing our pastor must wear, the holy days we must observe, how we must pray, and even what we should pray. These are human ideas, not what God prescribeth in the Bible. I think we should trust the bishops. They understand the Bible better than we. But the Holy Scriptures are written plainly for all to read and understand. Why do we need more than that? You talk like my cousin's pastor in Babsworth. Hey, Paul, let us visit him together this Lord's Day. Bread and pudding, boys. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Uncle Robert. It is my own pleasure. Whom do you wish to visit? The pastor in Babsworth. Babsworth? Richard Clifton doth preach there, nay? Aye, sir. Clifton be one of those fantastical schismatics who so worries the crown. I do not advise it. Why not? Our family is well known in the community. You could bring disgrace down upon us. Tis disgrace before God that concerneth me. At 15, William had already reached what they called the age of discretion. So he was considered an adult? Sort of. In those days, at 14, a young man could leave home, marry, join the military, and be held accountable for his crimes. Yeah, it still seems pretty bold, though, to go against his uncles like that. Nevertheless, on Sunday morning, William and Paul rose well before dawn and made the 11-mile trek to Babsworth. William sat captivated as Richard Clifton preached his message. Time went by quickly, and before William knew it, the older man was offering up the closing prayer. And may thy peace and grace and all mercy be with us, now and forevermore, in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what did he think? Did he like it? Come on, quickly. What is wrong? That man, the one who followed us here from Scrooby. What if he be a policeman? Shall we run? Perhaps. Boys, wait. Ah, oh, boys. You walked past mine own manor in Scrooby this morning just as I was about to depart. <coughs> My name is William Brewster and I do attend this church. May I walk with you? Yea, sir. Ah, thank you. Your company shall make the journey back much more enjoyable. You did say you live in Scooby Manor. Uh, dost thou serve the crown? Yes, I am the postmaster and bailiff. And what are your names? I'm William Bradford, and this is my friend Paul Barker. Ah, Bradford. I knew thy father and grandfather. I am pleased to meet thee, young William, and thee as well, Paul. Ah, I am curious. And what maketh you boys come all the way to Babsworth to attend church? My own relatives attend hither, only they were not at church. I did learn today that they suffer from the plague. I pray the good Lord doth restore them soon. Thank you, sir. I went to hear Reverend Clifton preach. And did you approve the message? Very much so. In what way? Reverend Clifton did not dress in the vestments of the Church of England. He wore clothing like you and I. Also, he did not use the Bishop's Book of Prayer. <laughs> and what thought thou of his sermon? He did preach directly and clearly from the Bible. I intend to return and hear him again Sunday next. From then on, 
William rose early every Sunday and walked to Babsworth. Two and a half miles into his journey, he would stop at the Scrooby Manor to join the Brewster family, and together they would walk the next nine miles. These were exciting times for William, but they were troubling times for his two uncles. One Sunday morning, Uncle Robert met William at the door. What is so attractive to thee about that church? Pastor Clifton doth teach plainly and simply from the Bible, not the bishop's prayer book. He doth teach we all have equal access to God. Come with me, and you shall see, Uncle. This approacheth heresy. No, tis truly scriptural. You still go, though your friend Paul's father doth forbid him. William, you need to come back to St. Helena. It is the church of your fathers. I love and respect both you and Uncle Thomas. But I can no longer sit under the preaching at St. Helena. Thy father and grandfather and thy great-grandfather, they built St. Helena. If thou continuest on thy present course, thou shalt lose thy reputation. And should the bishop, or God forbid, the king become displeased with thee, thou mayest perchance lose thine inheritance. Since it is for a good cause that I am likely to suffer the calamities which you lay before me, you have no cause to be either angry with me or sorry for me. William, this is a very grave matter. Thou couldn't lose thy life for this cause. Twas but ten short years ago that her royal highness sent two brownies to their deaths at the gallows. Now they round up separatists in London and throw them into prison. Art thou willing to pay the ultimate price? I am not only willing to part with everything that is dear to me for this cause, but I am also thankful that God hath given me a heart to do so and shall accept me to so suffer for him. So Bradford continued to attend All Saints Assembly that summer. During this time, he also turned into a young man. While his voice changed, his religious views did not. The Cambridge-educated William Brewster noted his intellect and began inviting him to spend more time at the manor with his family. By fall, Brewster had become Bradford's new mentor. Are you ready for some more Latin? Yes, sir. But today I have two new phrases for you. The first one is a quote from the Roman philosopher Lucretius. Ex nihilo nihil fit. Ex nihilo nihil fit. Ex nihilo nihil fit. It means nothing comes from nothing. Hard work is always required in order to achieve an end. That phrase bears true concerning the speaking of this Latin tongue. <laughs> Yea, indeed. Now, here is another one. Oribus tenere lupum. Oribus tenere lupum. Good. This meaneth to hold a wolf by the ears. To hold a wolf by the ears? I fail to understand the meaning. Has thou heard it said to hold a tiger by the tail? Yea. Well, this is similar. To hold a wolf by the ears describeth an unsustainable situation. A situation where to do nothing and to do something are both equally risky. And what is the unsustainable situation, Mr Brewster? Thou art a perceptive young man. The Chancery Court did summon and accuse Reverend Clifton as a non-conformist and non-subscriber. Did they remove him from office? Yea. Can they do that? If Pastor Clifton doth not conform to their rules, they have every right to do so. But their rules come not from God's word, but the mind of man. Tis an unbiblical system. For him to conform would be a sin. Yea, 
I feel we enter a new phase, William. Oribus tenari lupum. I would rather we were the wolf, and they were trying to hold our ears. <laughs> Res ipsa loquito. The thing speaks for itself. Well, thank you to Ian for coming on the show and for allowing us to share this episode with you. If you'd like to get a copy, you can head over to BrinkmanAdventures.com to get your own copy on CD or MP3 download. Now, as I said at the top of the show, there was a lot more that we had planned for this episode. I was originally just going to have a, a quick chat with Ian, and then we would do our review. But when we decided to share part of the actual audio drama in this episode... And I just kind of let time get away from me when I was talking with Ian. And so I thought, well, let's go ahead and release this part and we'll move the review to another episode. So that will be coming in episode 172 in about a week's time. So stick around for that in the next episode. Well, if you would like to get in touch with us, head over to audiotheatercentral.com slash contact. All the ways to get in touch with us are listed there including our email address, feedback at audiotheatercentral.com. Show notes are at audiotheatercentral.com slash 171. And the audio drama, the Brinkman website, all those books that Ian mentioned in this conversation, all of that stuff is linked up there, so you don't have to go searching for it. It's all there for you. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, this is Jason Markiewicz from Plumas Lake, California. Audio Theatre Central is a production of Porchlight Family Media. The theme music was composed by Sam Avendano. The show is produced and edited by J.D. Sutter. Find the website at audiotheatercentral.com. Porchlight Family Media. Your source for family-centered content. PorchLightFamilyMedia.com